You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Many, many men. I love what Psalm 150 says. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him upon the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. You know what we just did? We collect... collectively just now saying praise unto the Lord that's what a corporate body does what we stand and we say this I declare this is what I believe and how awesome is it for a group like this to get together and to be able to sing about the victory that we find in Jesus Christ how he is uh, literally our only hope and so thank you for being here this morning Uh, Thank you for joining me as well as many others in lifting high the name that is worthy. And at the last song we just sang that can save. And that's found in John chapter number one. That there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Mark chapter number five, please. Mark chapter number five. As we continue in our series entitled Jesus. Jesus from the book of Mark. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you most likely have heard not only the story from last week of where Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat, the disciples were uh, fearing for their very life as a huge storm came about on the Sea of Galilee, And how Jesus literally said, peace be still, muzzled the very creation uh, into just a calmness uh, there on the sea. And then no doubt you've also heard about the story of the man that was in the Gadarenes, also called, often he's given the nickname, the Maniac of Gadara, and how he was in the tombs and how uh, Jesus healed him miraculously of the evil spirits that was in him. So we're going to spend actually two weeks on this passage, and so this morning I'm going to just start uh, for uh, just the sake of time this morning, uh, verses just one through one through five. Notice what it says, and they came over the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broke in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. This morning, I want to I want to start somewhat of a kind of a two-part message, even though they'll have different titles, but it has a central theme of understanding evil. 
understanding evil. Let's ask the Lord one more time to bless this, these moments. Father, we come before you, and we're thankful that we've been able to lift up your name, lift up our voices into praise unto you. Thank you for all the instruments that are on this platform and how they uh, display and how they can praise you. And there's many others that were listed in Psalm 150. But God, I'm thankful for how uh, when they're used for your honor and for your glory, you receive such praise in them. But God, now as we look into your word, I pray that we would also realize that the way that I deliver this message and the way that this message is received by the listener is also praise, that it's also worship. And Lord, may we do so with a humbleness, with an, uh, with an eagerness to learn. And Father, I pray you'd even teach me as I uh, preach what you've put on my heart this week. And God, will give you all the honor and the glory as you're lifted up. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that do not know, I was raised down in Southern California. And if you were raised anywhere down in Southern California, I can't speak for all areas, but I went through driving education in uh, the 1990s. Now, they did it very differently back in the 1990s as they do in today. Uh, today, uh, the people are driving, they just, it's, everything is online. But back in the day, we had to go to classes. How many of you went to classes? How many of you can remember that? Well, down in Southern California, uh, as you're going through these different driver's ed classes, uh, they get to one of the days and they begin to show films called Red Asphalt. Has anybody seen Red Asphalt? Some of you in here have. Those are nasty, right? I mean, you begin to see all of the crashes and the carnage and the blood everywhere. And aren't you glad you came to church this morning with the blood? But now the purpose of these films was not just for the gore and, you know, for us to have stories many uh, decades later. It was simply to be a warning. And it was to warn you against the, the dangers of breaking traffic laws. And the reason why is because breaking traffic laws do not always seem dangerous at all times. Now, you and I know what I'm talking about, right? Right? Sometimes we don't think it's that dangerous to go beyond the speed limit and to turn on red and hopefully you don't, you know, I mean, these things that you don't want tickets for, right? But sometimes we, why are you looking at me like I'm the only one that does this? And so these warnings were given to me decades ago to say, hey, Ryan, don't break the laws because you're going to think those laws are not very dangerous or not to keep you from any danger later on. We are embarking on the next few weeks a passage before us that has, that has warnings in it. It is very interesting to me that the casting out of these evil spirits from this man, that they're given so much ink in Mark's telling of the Gospels. Remember what the Gospels are. They are the four accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of kind of their, their, their life and their journey with Christ. And so they all tell stories kind of from somewhat of a different angle. Speaking of driver school, it would be like there's an accident that happens right in the front here. And, you know, these folks would have seen it from a different angle than these folks. And I would have had a completely different vantage point than you would have had. And that's what you have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I find it very interesting that Mark gives so much time, so much ink, so to speak. I mean, you could literally read this all the way down through uh, even verse 
20, and he gives a lot of time to it. And it's told to us in rather graphic detail. It's one of the longer narratives in Mark, and at the center of it is this stunning power of the Messiah to have power over evil. But there's more than just that here. I believe there's a tremendous warning to us about evil. And I remember the very first message that I preached here at uh, Redwood, and it was when I was actually candidating uh, to be your pastor, and I was still in my 20s. You all are crazy to trust a 20-year-old, but someone in his 20s. And I remember preaching this text, and and so I want to take an entirely different uh, approach to this text. Be very still true uh, to the text, but, 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 but a different angle. And there's a tremendous warning here about evil, because there are times when evil does not seem that evil to us. There are times when gossip does not seem that evil to us. There are times when lust does not seem that evil to us. There are times when greed does not seem that uh, it's not it's not that bad to us. There are there are times when when, when drunkenness that does not seem that bad to us. There are times when lying does not seem that bad to us. And we all know that we live in a culture where bad is not viewed as bad anymore. If we were to be honest here this morning, we actually live in a culture that is so audacious to call wrong right and to call right wrong. In fact, you could argue that the Western culture, that the the highest noble standard or the highest moral standard is not a standard of right and wrong. It is a standard of a acceptance and tolerance. You must never say or call anything wrong and you must always tolerate whatever the person next to you chooses to do. And so God, knowing our hearts, knowing that we tend to forget, and knowing that we live in a fallen world, we're given this narrative. We're given this warning, so to speak, to say, watch the video and notice. Notice what happens when evil has its free reign in the life. And this is really a continuation of the story of what we looked at last week. Remember Jesus, he had gotten in a boat. He had asked his disciples, I want you to, I want you to take me to the other side of the Galilee. He wanted to get some rest. And of course, we know the story from last week at the end of chapter number four where the storm comes up. And so now they've, Jesus has calmed the storm. They've made their way over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He wants to get some rest. But we know that's not what happens because as soon as he gets to the other side, this man meets him from the tombs there of uh, Gadara, and he's greeted with this man with evil spirits. And we begin to see this elaborate detail about this man in verse number 3. Who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could blind him, no, bind him, excuse me, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains. And the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by 
thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto them, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. So there are many things in this, the beginning portions of this passage, that, that, that really kind of jump off the page for me. And it kind of helps us to understand what happens when evil takes over a life. When evil begins to have its, have its reign in someone's life. This passage is so great that we're going to take more than a week on it. I want you to notice, first of all, this man was literally unable to be restrained. Completely unable to be restrained. Let's see it again in verse number 3. Who hath, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Now sadly, in these days, chains were kind of the psychiatric hospital. When someone was crazy or when someone was out of control, he was driven outside of town, and he was, he was chained lest he would hurt himself or somebody else. Yet this man had such a supernatural power. He had such supernatural evil power, this unclean evil spirit within him that he broke all the chains that anyone would ever put upon him. And there is this, in this inability of this man to be restrained, we see the, we, we see the first lesson about the true evil of evil, about the real understanding of what it is. And here's what it is. It is absolutely impossible to restrain, subdue, or conquer evil by external means. It's absolutely impossible to restrain, subdue, or conquer evil by external means. Evil cannot be conquered that way. You cannot and you do not solve the problem of evil by some kind of external restraint. You cannot, hear what I'm about to say, you cannot ask the law to do what only grace can do. You cannot ask the law to change a heart. You can only ask grace to do that. It cannot be done. You see that very powerfully in this man. And so if you and I are a parent in here, there's absolutely a lesson for us. Because parenting must be more than external restraint and control of the behavior of your child. Because the problem is not the child's behavior. The problem is the evil in the heart of that child that shapes his behavior. If you and I, I, I wish every one of you could have been here at 10. No doubt, I believe we recorded it. Nick, did we record 10 o'clock? I'd encourage you sometime this week to go onto our website. That series of of Lies that are shaping our world can be heard also on our website. And it dovetails together. There is a lie that is shaping our world today, and this is the lie that I taught on this morning, that at the core, man is good. That every man at his core, at who he is, is good. And so we, we use Scripture to teach that that's not the case, that we're actually at our core, we're evil and we're needing of Christ. We're needing of His righteousness and His goodness, so to speak. And so for those of us who are parents, we look at our child, it's not so much the behavior, it's not so much the line, it's not so much the disrespect, it's not so much the action, but rather the heart within that child that needs 
to be rescued that needs to be changed. And so we can bring all kinds of law that we want with that child, but it's not going to change the heart. Only radical grace can do that. There are thousands of supposedly Christian young people who go off to college every year and they forsake, they forsake the faith. Now, I would say to you that they're not forsaking their faith. It's not theirs in the first place. It was the faith of their parents. And once the restraint of mom and dad was lifted, what actually is revealed is the true heart of that young person. Now, I want you to hear this. You and I, we have zero ability to restrain evil on our own. And conquering evil starts by recognizing your utter helplessness to restrain it yourself. This man was helpless. This man had an evil, unclean spirit that was raging in him. They tried, again, we're, we're just taking some practical side of it to understand evil. They tried to, they tried to chain him. They tried to put fetters on him. He was able to break all of those things. No exterior restraint of any kind of measure could help this man. Now, there's something else that's said about him. Verse 5, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. So secondly, evil in its very nature is destructive. Can't be tamed by the law, can't be tamed by, by rules and regulations, can't do that. I mean, they tried to change. Nothing they could do. There was no outside restraint that could, that, that, that could do anything for this man. And then we see that he's in at night in the tombs. He's taking stones and he's, he's constantly cutting himself. He's self-destructing, so to speak. So there is, there's no such thing. Hear what I'm about to say. There's no such thing as constructive evil. There's no such thing as evil that is going in the, in the right direction. There's no such thing as evil that has wisdom. There's no such thing as evil that is building something that you're going to be able to say later on, like, man, that's a, look at that. That's a good thing. And if you're giving yourself to evil, whether you realize it or not, you are on a sure pathway, here I'm about to say, of self-destruction. That is the way evil works. The problem is not always as parent to you and to me. And that's why we're given this powerful picture of this man so we would see what e when evil takes over, what actually is the problem. Hear me. When you're overeating, maybe trying to numb your feelings in an idolatrous action which makes food your substitute Messiah, it does not seem so evil because it tastes good. You say, Ryan, why did you start there? Because that's me. Saturday, my wife and my kids, they went down to Southern California, and my daughter's participating in a missions camp for the week. And that literally started Sunday afternoon, and so they couldn't be here at church and then also go. And so we had our Bible blast Saturday yesterday. Awesome job. Everybody that makes that happen, awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you. Great, great day yesterday. Our kids loved it. But around 2 o'clock, I said goodbye to my family. And I'm not trying to make this all about me, but I hate when I'm all alone like this. I am not a good bachelor at all. 
Okay? I, just, I, I don't like it. I like to be alone. And it's amazing how alone often God makes me as far as the profession that I have. There's a lot of prayer alone. There's a lot of studying alone. And there's times when Mike wants to come in and it's like, no. But then there's also times where, man, I, I want to be in his office and he's trying to kick me out. Why? Because I'm a people person. I, I love to be around people. I love Sundays, my favorite day of the week. Because number one, I, I get to proclaim truth, yes, but I also get to see you, and I get to talk to you, and I get to, you know, find all those different things. So, so that, 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 that's, who I, that's who I am. Well, two o'clock, we said goodbye, and we cried. You know, all those different types of things. You think I'm joking. I literally didn't cry, but I wanted to. My family wasn't a half a block out of my driveway that I found a bag of cookies. I don't know where those came from. And I found one of those little things of ice cream, you know, like those little ones that you get because you don't want to like go crazy gluttonous with it. My kids were supposed to eat that before they were gone, Pablo. Well, I open up the refrigerator. I'm, all, I'm finishing off one of those. Listen, that food was my acting Messiah. That food was my, was my rescue at that moment. I knew the, the daunting task of this week. And so if you want to have me over for dinner, I'm all game. I'll be there, okay? Just invite me. Man, that sounded really self-serving. It was. It's okay. But listen, when we're eating it and we're enjoying it, guess what? It doesn't feel that evil. Why? Because it tastes good. Because we are enjoying it. It is, it is salving maybe something. There might be a wound emotionally. And don't raise your hand. Often people will go to a food type of thing. Or when you're on the internet. And there's a beautiful woman in front of you, or maybe even men for you women. And you're taking in the beauty and you are feeling the buzz. It does not seem evil because it is so pleasurable. When you've cheated on your taxes and you have acquired a little extra money in your pocket, that extra money in your pocket, it doesn't feel that evil. Why? Because you've already spent that money 12 different ways. And it feels good to be able to do something, or when you've gossiped against another person and perhaps destroying their reputation, it doesn't seem so evil because that person is not there and you get that little, that, that, that little buzz of telling someone else's story when they're not there. And on and on and on. I could name sins, but I'm not the purpose this morning. The Holy Spirit does a whole lot of better job than that. You and I, we ought to be afraid. Because we still, within us, have this perverse tendency at moments to look at evil and to not see it as evil. And so what I want to do this morning is I want God to help us. I want us to kind of take that, that brief. There was no way I was going to be able to get through all of the text without and then also give you this practical side. And so what I want to do is I want to take the next few moments and I want to give you a strategy for fighting sin and prevailing over it in your Christian life. So again, we're going to come back to this text. We're going to see many other things in Mark 5. We saw just quickly here that, 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 that you, you can't fix it from outside and that also that, that, that it's evil in any fashion in your life that it's destructive, it's self-destructive. There's, no, there's nothing really good about it. And I, I want you to understand that. But now I want to give you some, I I give you some practical advice. 
There's going to be a ton of verses up on the screen. You might want to jot some things down. You might want to jot some of the references that you can go back to. And so how do we, how do we, begin, to, how do we begin to fight sin? Well, first of all, you must know it. You've got to understand. You've got to acknowledge. You've got to be real with yourself about your sin. Now, I'm thankful that as a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the guilt of that sin has been completely forgiven. That, that you and I were covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that there's no condemnation that is hanging over me as a believer in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ took all that condemnation. Jesus Christ bore all the punishment. He bore all of the, all of the nastiness of that on the cross. And we, we learn in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Thank God for that. Thank God for the reality of Jesus Christ bearing that approach, bearing that shame, bearing that condemnation. But the reign of sin in your life has absolutely been broken. We learned that. But the presence of it, the flesh still remains. Romans 6.6 6 says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Jump down to verse number 14, Nick. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Praise God that you and I were no longer under the power of sin anymore. That, that power in Christ, those chains, they've been completely broken in Him. Because of His death, His burial, and His resurrection. We died with Him in His death, and those that are, that are saved were raised to new life. That's what baptism is a picture of. If you've never been baptized and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen, it does not save you. Jesus saves you. What baptism does is it's simply a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. It's symbolic of what happened the moment that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You died with Him. That's what Romans 6 is all about. And you rose again with Him. The power of sin is completely broken. But you still have your flesh, right? You still have that, 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 that kind of root, so to speak, in, in, in the Christian life. And so the Christian life is always going to be a struggle. And that's why Paul said in Galatians 5.16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the what? The flesh. Okay, so that flesh is constantly going to want to sin. That flesh is going gonna, is gonna to want to do some of the things that I listed there that can be obviously very sinful. Okay, it's, it's going to naturally want to do that. And so Paul, he introduces how the Holy Spirit, when you walk in Him, I've done that uh, in, our, in our Wednesday night studies. Okay, so I'm not going to take the time for that, but it's going to be this constant struggle. Our flesh, it's drawn to sin. Christian writers sometimes refer to this as the indwelling sin, which is simply the impulse to sin that remains active in your flesh throughout your Christian life. How many of you would acknowledge there sometimes is still an impulse to sin, right? That would be the flesh. Okay, the flesh. Sometimes you, yeah, you want that sin still. But if you're going to engage effectively in the battle against sin, you must know that you are in a fight. You must you got to know it. you got to know that there's going to be this constant struggle come Sunday afternoon. Even right now, there's a struggle. 
And there's going to be a struggle come Monday. And so how does God reveal to you, how does God reveal to me indwelling sins? How do I, how do I battle against this? Well, it's going to sound like an oversimplification. But it's through the Word. David said in Psalm 119, The entrance of thy words giveth light. What words? Well, all of Psalm 119 is about the Word of God. If you were to start in chapter number four, verse number 1, it's all about the Word of God. And so David is saying, The entrance of thy word, the entrance of the Bible, giveth light. You and I, we are to use the Bible as a, as a mirror, so to speak. Use it as a tool in your life. James tells us this way, James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholds himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Okay, you and I, can, we can kind of understand that. They wouldn't have had mirrors like we had today. But just kind of picture you and I, we get up in the morning, we look in the mirror, and we see that we need some work. Amen? Well, at least I do every morning, right? My hair is all over the place, you know, kind of. And you, ah, I'm good. And then you just go on. No, 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 you, you would never do that. Okay, keep going. Look at verse number 15. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, referencing the word of God here, and continue it therein, he be not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And so when you and I read the Bible, a really, really good question Again, this is the practical side of this message, is that you should ask yourself this question, is there a sin to avoid? Try to see what you are reading and what you're reading, if it points to a sin that might be lurking in your life. The first priority is turning from, from turning from sin is that you and I, we need to acknowledge it. Let's not be pharisaical. Let's examine the last seven days of our life and see the empirical evidence that you and I, we still struggle in this life. Sin doesn't have its power, but you know what we do every time we sin? Man, we pick up those chains and we put them on. Jesus took those chains off. You and I, we need to, we need to know that. We need to acknowledge that there is still a struggle. The entrance of God's word, it gives light. And once you know what you're up against, then you're able to make progress. And so this next point, I've, I, I've kind of alluded to this some in the past. So you've got, you got to know your struggle. Know it. And then secondly, stalk it. Once you've identified an area of sin, you need to start watching for its movements. So suppose we are watching pride. Let's a, suppose we're stalking lust. Let's suppose we're stalking laziness or unbelief. Ask yourself, when am I most vulnerable to these sins? Hey, when, it's come, when it comes to sins, you don't need a sin finder. That's not what the Christian community is all about, trying to find sin in everybody else's life. Man! Be careful of that. You do the work. When am I most vulnerable to lust? When am I most vulnerable to greed? In what ways do I see them being expressed? You answer that. 
You allow the Word of God. Again, the Word of God sheds light. You allow it to, to, to move or to, to, to work in your life. John Owen, in The Mortification of Sin, says this. Ask envy what, is, what it aims at. Murder and destruction are its natural conclusion. Set yourself against it. And if it had already surrounded you in wickedness, every unclean thought or glance would be adultery if it could. Every covetous desire would be oppression. And every unbelieving thought would be atheism. See the end of something. Don't just enjoy the tickling side of whatever that sin is. See it for what it is. See it stalking, lurking. Watch for it in your life and in my life. Stalking sin is how you move from knowing your sin to killing your sin. It means getting to a position where you can see sin's movement so you can take action against it. Be honest with yourself. Don't fool yourself. Don't think that everything is always just okay. Don't just be like, hmm, I can watch whatever I want. No, you can't. And I'm not here to tell you what you can watch and what you can't watch. Not about to do that. Holy Spirit's going to do that. But don't just think, oh, I can just do whatever. Are we okay this morning? All right? Glad you came to church. If you've become aware of a particular area of sin in your life and you do not move on it, it's going to grow. Did you hear me? If you allow the Word to enlighten something in your life and you just say, eh, it's not that bad. Remember, evil's not that evil. And we're just, eh, it's okay. It's going to grow. Because sin, man, sin's powerful. Sin has a life. Sin has, has, has vigor in it. You have to track it down. You, you have to deal with it. It will destroy you. Because that's how sin works. I want you to hear this. You are stalking sin, and sin is stalking you. You are stalking sin, and sin is stalking you. You've got to understand that. As you are trying to be aware of it in your life, it is trying to find every single crevice in your life where it can utterly destroy you. That evil wants you, obviously you see it in Mark 5, cutting yourself, but it ran, the ramification differently in your life. So let me ask you this question before I move on to the next point. What sin is stalking you at this point? What sin? Stalking you in your life. Are you courageous enough to ask yourself that question? You can't play with it. Because it wants to destroy you. It wants to kill you. So you've got to know that that sin is stalking you. That evil is stalking you. So you've got to be proactive. You've got to be aware of it. You've got to be watching it. Because it desires to have you. So you got to know it. Know it. 
You've got to stalk it. You've got to watch it. You've got to be observant. Don't, Ryan, and you, all of us, don't live with your heads in the sand. Know that you've got to test the spirits, whether they be of God. Know. Know it. Stalk it. And then thirdly, kill it. Kill it. John Owen says, always be killing sin or it will be killing you. The clearest scripture on this subject would be found in Romans 8, verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye live through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So Paul is saying here, hey, he's saying, put to death the misdeeds of the body. Put to death the flesh. That is what the word mortification means. It means or mortify. It means, it means to, 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 to put to death. And John Owens, in, in, in his book on mortification of sin, he, he, he says mortification consists of three things. Number one, habitual weakening of sin. Every time you say no, he says to the flesh, you weaken its power. So there must be a habitual weakening of sin. Listen to me. You can't say no to it, N-O, if you don't know about it, K-N-O-W. If you're not allowing the Word of God to say, yeah, that is a sin. No, you shouldn't be thinking that. No, you should not be doing that. No, you should not be going there. All those different kinds of things. Again, that's not, that's not what I'm here to do this morning. Let the Holy Spirit do that. But if you, if you allow the Word to teach you things, and then you're like, no, that's actually, I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be whatever the case is. Well, then you say N-O to it, and you will weaken its power. John Owen goes on to say this, constant fighting and contending against sin. Don't expect an end to your struggle with sin in this life. Sin's root remains in us. You will always be fighting. That's what John Owen says. And boy, is it true. I fight it every day, don't you? Let's acknowledge it. Let's be greater fighters this week. Be greater fighters this week. And then he says this, frequent success. Sin's activity and actions are fewer and weaker than before. And sin is not able to hinder man's duty nor interrupt his peace. I do not want to define any of you in here as old, so I will not do that. But the older you get, the more you can probably relate with. I don't, again, I don't want to do it. So the older you get, you look at us younger. You're like, why do you struggle with those things, Ryan? Right? Stop it. <laughs> Truth is, you know, those youthful passions, some of those things kind of subside itself. But listen, the frequent success, the more, the more you battle this, the more you attack it. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be super blunt before I go on to the next point. Most Christians don't even care about this. Are you okay with that? Most of you are like, I'm going to do whatever I want anyways. I'm free in Jesus. And absolutely, praise God, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But what a foolish way to interpret Scripture to deem that that's just a license to sin and do whatever we want. Where grace abounds, what does the Bible say? Or where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And like, yes! And then what does Paul go on to say? Well, now that I've got this grace, should I just continue in the sin? And what does he say? God forbid. We don't just continue. Fight it, fight it, fight it. We good? Okay? Let's move on. I want you to notice the work that God calls you to do but you do it in the Spirit's power. Back to Romans 8.13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit 
do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Remember, you got to be killing sin or it's going to kill you. As you kill sin, praise God, you live. It's amazing. And Owens lists six ways in which the Holy Spirit is at work in the mortification of sin. Very practical type of conclusion to the message here. Number one, convince the Holy Spirit convinces your heart of the sin to be mortified. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. You get into the book, remember, the Word, light into your life. It's like a mirror. You get into the book, the Holy Spirit's going to be like, boom! There's one for you, Ryan. That's what He does. He convinces the heart of the sin to be mortified. Secondly, the Holy Spirit reveals the provision of Christ for your relief. Praise God for Jesus. Praise God this message, if, we, if, if you've been listening all along and you continue to listen, it's not this backpack of work. Instead, you unleash Jesus in your life, the Holy Spirit working. It reveals the provision of Christ for your behalf. Three, the Holy Spirit establishes your heart in the expectation of relief from Christ. This is just who I am. No, you're not. You're accepted in the Beloved. You're holy and blameless before God now in Jesus Christ. So you don't have to sin. Well, this is the way I was right. No, stop. We're not, we're not victims. We're victors in Jesus. The Holy Spirit, He says, hey, have some expectation because of your relief in Christ. I love, number four, what John Owen says brings the cross of Christ into your heart with its sin-killing power. I'm going to get to that here in a moment on the text that I love. But the Holy Spirit of God, He brings to mind the cross. He brings to mind Jesus. He brings to mind Christ. By the way, I didn't even get to it, but in Mark chapter number 5, Jesus literally says, hey, get out of you. And they all leave. I mean, such power. He has. Brings the cross of Christ into your heart with its sin-killing power. The number five, the Holy Spirit brings and will complete, begins, excuse me, and will complete your sanctification. He began it in Christ. He's going to finish it in Christ. That day of glory is coming at some point. The number six, supports all your soul's prayers to God. Supports them. The mark of a Christian is he or she is fighting against sin. Are you fighting it? The Christian has many failures along the way. But this is the path on which you and I are to walk. You know what God is telling you this afternoon? Started this morning, but now it's afternoon. Thanks for letting me preach. He's saying that you can do this. Because you're great? Nope. He's saying you can do this because I've given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's like you can be slain sin. You can be slain the evil that is around you. Because by the way, you can't restrain it apart from Him. You can't. You can't begin to say, hey, now again, I'm not against rules and regulations. Listen, you can be like, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to set up all these rules and I'm going to do this and that. Listen, that rule is not going to redeem you. 
the goodness of God. It's the grace of God that, that leads to repentance. Listen, you cannot expect the law to do something that only grace can do. Set up the rules. Set up the laws. I'm not opposed to those. But just realize the real power, the real transformation, the real killing of sin is in the gift of the Holy Spirit. God says you can this week conquer whatever it is the Holy Spirit pricks your heart about. You can because of the Holy Spirit. Evil should make us afraid, but not weak. Evil should, yeah, we, we, we should be cognizant of it, but it shouldn't make you timid. It shouldn't make you paralyzed. And the reason why is because Jesus, some 2,000 years ago, walked up that hill of Calvary, and he bore your sin, and he bore my sin. He took all of the evil of this world, and the Bible says he made a mocking show of it as he crucified, and he won on our behalf. He conquered evil completely. Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Verse 15, I love. And having spoiled principalities and powers. Here's another way of saying that. All the evil... The devil, all of his power, all of his demons, all of the principalities and powers, he spoiled all of them. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What's the it? Verse 14 tells us the cross. And so you can be victorious this week. Not because you're going to pull some bootstraps up. Not because you're going to tighten in on the rules and regulations. However, Holy Spirit's telling you to do that. I would obey him. But it's because of Jesus. It's because of Christ. He took on every temptation. He took on every single evil. Do you remember earlier in the book of Mark when we were in chapter 1 and 2, when Jesus was tempted for 40 days? He took on every bit of evil for you and for me. And he came out victorious. Why? So you this week on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday can say no to sin. Can say no to the evil don't play with it. Don't think, well, it's okay. We see in Mark 5, I get, I get a different, different perspective, but we see from, we see from Mark number 5, it's like, it's like the red asphalt for Christians. No, 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 this is what evil does. Evil cannot be contained apart from Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit. And when we play with evil, self-destruction every single time. And we're going to continue to go through Mark 5, going forward. Your hope is not found in your activity. Your hope is found in your identity as a child of this conquering king. The one who's able to say later in the text, get out. And the evil spirit goes. You and I, we can say no because we know the one who gives us the power to say no. Can you rest in him this week? Rest in his sufficiency. Rest in what he's done. Allow God to, to bring some safeguards in your life. Yes, but don't find your glory. Don't find your strength in your safeguards. Instead, find your power to slay sin in Christ, in the Spirit. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word and